open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing our study in our Savior's Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. If you want to use the, the Pew Bible in front of you, it's page 810. It's the same page we've been on for several weeks now. Matthew 5, verse 33 and following. This is the word of our Lord. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray that the Lord would guide us before we begin. Father in heaven, many of us have come in this morning with all sorts of things on our minds and our hearts. Some of us have come in troubled. Some of us have come in with hearts that are hard. Some of us have come in with sorrow. Some of us have come in excited to hear from your word. And to each one of us, you speak. You speak to us right where we are. We pray this morning, Father, that you would speak to us from your word, that we would understand what it means to be in Christ and what it means to follow Christ. We praise your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, that clicking you hear could be interference, so if your phones are on, turn them off. You do have the Pew Bible in front of you at, uh, to follow along with. I, I will say, we don't have a lot of notes on the screen. Um, I was in a hotel room last night in Portland instead of home where I wanted to be. And so um, we will hear from God's Word. The sermon will not be as polished as it normally is. I look like I was dressed by an Ewok this morning. <laughs> <laughs> But we're here. Um, well, as we go into this, I, I think one of the things that, that came to my mind is that, is that the value of our word is something that has always been important. Words having value is what makes human interaction even possible, isn't it? If we can't believe or trust what someone says to us, then, then the foundation for that relationship is, is shaky at, at the very best. How can you do business with someone if you don't know whether they're telling the truth? How can a marriage work? How can a friendship function if, if there's no trust between friends? The foundation of human society is truthful communication, isn't it? 
So when God gave Israel laws to help govern that new society, he gave them laws that helped people stay true to their word. The ninth of the Ten Commandments prohibits giving a false testimony against someone. The idea is that if you're a witness or a victim in a trial, it would be unlawful to lie in such a way that someone would be prosecuted falsely. That would absolutely destroy their legal system. Witnesses have to be honest for the system to work. There there were times, though, in Israel when a person's word alone wasn't enough. Did you know that? They needed an oath. They needed an oath to, to, to add weight to what was being said. In Exodus 22, verses 10 and 11, there's this particular situation where taking an oath in the Lord's name is actually commanded to the people. You're welcome to turn there if you want. I'll read it for you. Exodus 22, chapter 10 and 11. So right after God gives the the Ten Commandments to the people, he gives some extra ordinances that help their society function. The Lord says this, If if a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or, or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both, to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. So what's going on here? Think about it this way. If, if I loan you my car for a few days, and you park it in front of your house, and you go in for the night, and you come back out in the morning, and my car that I loaned to you is gone, well, what do we do? Moses says that in situations like this, oaths are necessary. If you didn't sell the car and pocket the money, then you're going to have to swear an oath to back up your word. Something like, Dustin, I parked your car by the street. When I got up, it was gone. God is my witness. If I'm lying to you, may God strike me down. That's, that's an oath. Oaths like these were a regular part of daily interaction in old Israel. So much so that the third commandment of the Ten Commandments says you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. That means you shouldn't make an oath to someone by invoking God's name when you actually intend to break the oath. God didn't want his people going around and interacting with other tribes, making contracts and oaths in his name and then breaking them. They were his representatives, weren't they? They were his image bearers. They were his people that he had called out. And it would have been dishonoring to God to use his name falsely like that. It would make him look bad. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely. This is the one Jesus is quoting. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's his name. He's naming himself and said, don't use my name falsely. Don't misrepresent me to the people around you when you swear an oath. 
When Jesus says in verse 33 of this morning's text, so back to Matthew chapter 5, he says, Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. He's referring referring to to the importance of oaths and their relationship to the law and the culture of his day. You see, starting to see the importance of oaths and how they worked. He first affirms what had been taught and what continued to be the understanding of the law as the centuries went on. But then Jesus says in verse 34 of this morning's text, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Well, why not, Jesus? Oaths are commanded. Oaths are commanded in the Old Testament. This isn't, this isn't like the discussion about divorce. Remember last week, divorce wasn't commanded, it was allowed, it was permitted. But here's something that is commanded because it builds trust, it adds weight to your word, and it seems like Jesus is saying, don't do it. What's going on? Didn't Jesus say earlier to us, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. If the law says to make oaths, and Jesus is saying, don't make oaths, it seems to me like Jesus is abolishing or at least contradicting what the law says, doesn't it? Well, he's not. Okay? You can... Be at ease. He's the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the law. The first thing we need to do is remember the context of our passage. Remember how Jesus is teaching us that our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. That's his his thesis argument for the Sermon on the Mount. Our Our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And then he gives us these teachings that show us what that looks like. In each of these cases that we've been given... He gives us examples of a type of surface-level pseudo-righteousness that the Pharisees had. And then Jesus shows us what true righteousness is. So whatever is happening here with oaths, the Pharisees understood oaths in some way or another, and Jesus is showing us the bigger, brighter, fuller, God's kingdom level of understanding. Another rule of understanding God's word is to always let Scripture interpret Scripture. Always. Have you heard this before? So, if the immediate context that you're reading doesn't seem like it's things are lining up for you, then you expand the context and go out in concentric circles and let other passages in Scripture give you insight into what that scripture might be saying. Ask the question, where else does this author, so Matthew and the Holy Spirit in this case, where else does this author talk about this? Or if you need to broaden your circle, ask what else does the rest of the Bible have to say about this? This is really important in our text this morning. So later on in Matthew's gospel, some of you have read ahead, and if you haven't, you should, you, you will be helped Later on in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew tells us about a time when Jesus just absolutely roasts the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. We read about this in Matthew 23. So if you want to flip over a few pages, 
Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 to 22. In this time is when Jesus pronounces these seven woes to the Pharisees. Apparently, the Pharisees had gotten into some very bad habits with oaths. Rather than keeping with their intended use, they were busy looking for technicalities. They were looking for loopholes again, so they wouldn't have to be true to their word. Follow along with me in Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22, as Jesus pronounces his, his third woe, his third warning to these men about the danger of what they're doing. Jesus says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools! For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift of the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men! For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So, whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by whom dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. See what's happening here? These Pharisees, these men were looking for technicalities. They were looking for loopholes. The scribes and the Pharisees were, were slimy attorneys doing the first century equivalent of crossing their fingers behind their backs when they made a statement. Telling, telling the truth for them had sort of become a, a playground game. Their word only counted if they said, Simon says first. Ah, Simon didn't say. Ah, see, I didn't swear on the gold of the temple. I only swore on the temple itself. Therefore, I didn't have to tell the truth to you. I didn't swear on the gift on the altar, just the altar. Therefore, I didn't actually have to tell the truth to you. My word doesn't count. And because these men were the standard bearers, the law-keeping Example to everyone else, they set precedent for others. It became standard in that culture to use oaths not as a way to ensure truth telling, which was their intended use, but instead to use them as a way to get out of truth telling. It's still kind of that way, isn't it? In my law enforcement days, if I was talking to someone and they said to me, I swear to God I'm telling the truth, I knew two things at that point. One, they were lying. (laughs) And two, they probably did not believe that God would ever strike them down for lying. Okay, maybe three, they also didn't believe that God existed to begin with. Or at least not the God of the Bible. I hear other types of oaths too. You've heard them. I swear on my mother's grave. Which, if the mother is still living, I think means may my mother die if I'm lying to you. Or if she's dead, I think it means may her afterlife be full of trouble if I'm lying to you. Or I swear on my child's life. Have you heard that one? 
which seeing how some people parent, I wonder if their child's lives are that value, valuable to begin with to them. People go to great lengths to try and persuade you that they're telling the truth, but oaths these days don't carry as much weight as they were originally intended to. They're just a tool of manipulation now. The problem is this, that the heart of the Pharisees making oaths didn't have truth-telling as their goal. Instead, they were used to manipulate. Something good that God had made, something good that God had commanded, had been corrupted by human sin. We, today, we may not feel the need to, to swear these tricky oaths anymore. I, I haven't heard any of you swear oaths like the Pharisees did. But we do other little things, don't we? We do other little things to avoid telling the truth. We'll tell someone the part of the truth that they want to hear, but not the part that they don't want to hear. We'll tell someone the part of the truth that makes us look good, but not the part that makes us look incompetent or like failures. Oaths or not, friends, we are not blameless here. The root cause of the sin of the Pharisees, the desire to deceive others, it's still there in us. So going back to Matthew 5, what does Jesus say to do about this? Look at verse 34, Matthew 5, 34. Well, if the, if the religious people, the standard bearers, are using oaths in this way, then to be salt and light, Christ's people, to be distinguished from that way of doing things, Jesus says, let's not take oaths at all. Oaths are meaningless now. Let's instead let our word be reliable to begin with. Christ's kingdom people are those who have been born again in the spirit and are so made new by Christ that we are motivated to tell the truth. It is our desire to tell the truth. As citizens of Christ's kingdom, let's be a people who are so trustworthy that people accept our word simply for what it is. We don't have to lie. Lies, in all of their various forms, are ways that we try to make ourselves look better, aren't they? They're, they're, they're ways that we try and defend the projection of ourselves that we want others to see. And not the true self. But those who have been born again... We know that we don't have to defend ourselves. We know that we have nothing to defend. We are nothing without Jesus Christ. We know that we are needy. We know that we are sinful. And that any good in us only comes from our union with Jesus Christ. He is our only boast, as we sang this morning. So if we're weak... We can be weak and put on Christ's strength. If we've failed at something, we can admit it because Jesus Christ 
is victorious. If we've sinned, we can confess our sin because our sin has been dealt with by Jesus at the cross. We don't have to lie about it. When we lie, and by lying, I mean this, any avoidance of the truth to someone who has a right to the truth. Any avoidance of the truth, of truth-telling to someone who has a right to the truth. Your silence can be lying. Your failure to tell the whole truth can be lying. And of course, outright deceit can be lying. When we do that, we're actually trying to justify ourselves on our own terms without Christ. We're trying to pretend in some way or another that things are okay with us without Christ. But that's just it, isn't it? We are not okay. We desperately need Jesus. And when we tell the truth, we are living in the truth. We're in the light that he has, by his grace, brought us into. So if you claim to be in Christ, let me ask you. Are you so known for your honesty that you're the one that your boss comes to when he wants to know what's going on? Do you have a reputation in your industry, whatever it is that you do for a living, do you have a reputation for being trustworthy? Do people know you as the guy who will lose money because he's willing to tell the truth first? Young people, do your teachers trust you? Do your parents trust you? Should they trust you? Husbands, wives, are you someone that your spouse can trust? Does your word carry weight with your spouse? They know you will be true to your word. Do your kids trust you? Christian, when you speak, do people believe you? Are you just like the rest of the world? In a study done by the University of Massachusetts, researchers found, and statistics don't always say everything, but they did find in a group of people that 60% of adults cannot have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. And of that group, most of them lied three times during that conversation. And I'm pretty sure the other 40% were lying about lying, weren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Lying is totally normal. You don't have to teach kids to lie. Totally natural thing. Lies are like clothing that covers up our nakedness. They, They cover up our shame. Lying is so natural, in fact... That when the Apostle Paul describes our old selves, who we were before we were saved and made new by Christ, he says lying was at the core of our nature. Colossians 3, 9 through 10. We studied this several months ago. Paul says to the church there, Do not lie to one another, 
seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. What's he saying? Old self and the lying are peanut butter and jelly. But you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Lying and the new self, the born-again spiritual self, do not mix at all. They're not consistent with one another. Jesus is saying that those who belong to his kingdom will be so trustworthy that oaths don't add anything to what they say because their word carries weight. This is not new teaching, Christian and non-Christians. This is not new teaching. God has always wanted his people to be truthful people. He's always wanted his people to bear his image to the world around them by being a people who are true to their word as he is. Faithful as he is. Holy as he is. When Jesus says he is fulfilling the law, he's showing us that in him, the full righteousness of God is being shown to the world in him. John 1.17 says this, The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Friend, if you're a Christian, that's why you've been set apart in Christ. You are to be disciples of Christ, a people saved by grace, to be truth-tellers, carrying Christ's image to the world around you. But we are not always that way, are we? I'm not. I often find myself treating truth like that pink silly putty. Something that can be stretched and twisted and bounced or put in a little egg and put away or thrown away. Because I hate silly putty. <laughs> I'm not that different from those Pharisees sometimes. Especially, especially when I forget that Christ has saved me to bear his image. So if you're like me, then you need God's word to constantly remind you of who you are in Christ and what that is supposed to look like. With that in mind then, here are five teachings from God's word helpful teachings from scripture that help us be more faithful truth tellers so if you don't ever have a problem with telling the whole truth then you can write these down and give them to someone else but I'm going to preach to myself for the next 20 minutes okay so here's the first bit of help for you and me recognize that your speech is an indicator of the state of your soul Proverbs 10.20. And what I'm going to do after this is I will take all the sermon notes from this and put them on the website for you. Okay? Because there's going to be a lot of passages here. So Proverbs 10.20 is the first bit of help here. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. That's Proverbs 10.20. James 3, 5-12. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue, which is to say only the Holy Spirit can. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond or a wicked heart produce fresh water or the truth. Don't miss what James is saying. Our words flow from our hearts. Jesus says the same thing in, in Matthew 12, 12, 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what does that say when we lie? That we have lying hearts. Deceit is like black smoke coming out of your tailpipe. Well, your, your mouth. But some people, the mouth is like a tailpipe. Let's stop that analogy there. <laughs> How about this? The, the absolute inability to tell the truth is a check engine light for your soul. Better? All right. <laughs> If you find yourself constantly lying, if people don't know you as trustworthy, but instead you are known as a liar, like that, when people think your name, they think liar. If that's you, you have got to check your heart before it's too late because your lies are coming from your heart. Revelation 21.8 gives this as a warning. Our Lord Jesus says this, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Liars and murderers. They're in the same car together. Heading on a very, very long, long time of suffering together. But listen. Jesus Christ died for liars. Amen? Amen. He did. There is grace for liars. An abundance of grace. There is far more grace in the fountain of life than there is fire in that fiery lake. But listen, something happens to liars who have received grace. They stop lying. They, they stop being known as deceivers and start bearing the image of Jesus Christ. So friend, have you been made new in Jesus Christ? 
Are you really and truly trusting in Christ? Is your identity in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross to save you and to justify you? Or are you seeking to justify yourself with your own words instead of the living word? There's some of us, though, who know that we have received grace in Christ. We are confident in the salvation that we have received. We know we've been born again, and yet we still find ourselves exaggerating sometimes. Or or we lie without thinking about it. It just kind of comes out. There is wisdom in God's word for you too. This is our second bit of wisdom. Are you ready? It's very simple. Speak less. Use fewer words. Keep your mouth closed. Proverbs 10:19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The more you talk, the more likely you are to say something that is not true. Proverbs 21:23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Very simple. Speak less. And you'll lie less. Number three. Pray. Psalm 141.3. The psalmist says this prayer. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Psalm 19.4 says something similar. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Before you go into a conversation with a stranger, pray. Before you talk to your friends, pray. Before you talk to your neighbor, pray. Before you speak to someone who opposes you, pray. In any setting, whoever you're talking to, take the time before you speak to recognize God's good will for your speech. To let your lips glorify Him. And then pray that your lips would not be used for evil. Ask God to guard your words. Number four, when you do need to speak, and sometimes you do, listen first. Think, and then let what you say count. Listen, think, let it count. James 1.19, you know this one. You say this to your kids all the time. Let's say it to ourselves. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Proverbs 15.28, the Proverbs are just full of wisdom here. That's why it's called Wisdom literature. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked just pours out evil things. Pours out evil things. Proverbs 10, 20 and 21. Again, this is just solid. 
The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Slow down enough so that you can determine the origin of your words. If you've been born again, then you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And some things you say will be coming from your spirit-renewed self. And yet you still exist in the flesh. So some things you say will come from your flesh. So what we need to do is be slow enough to be confident that what you say isn't coming from the flesh. But is coming from the Holy Spirit who is in you. It's important because your words can be of great encouragement to someone. Your words can bring life to someone, especially if your words include the good news of Jesus Christ. Your words can bring peace. Your words can bring healing. Your words can bring reconciliation. Your words can be immensely useful. Like choice silver. Like food for the hungry. So let your words flow from God's word. Through his spirit that is in you. And from a heart that has been made new in Christ. And from a mind that is being renewed. Number five, it's the last one. Recognize God's sovereignty over your life. You can just write, God is sovereign. If you're wondering why we haven't yet talked about verses 34 through 37, it's because I was saving them. This is Jesus' big, glaring message here for us. The climax of what he wants us to understand about ourselves when it comes to our speech. When it really comes down to it, you and I do not have the authority to swear oaths. Look at what he says again in verse 34. If you're still in Matthew 5... At verse 34, he says, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything else comes from evil. Not only should our word carry weight because it is a part of our new nature to be truthful, but we also need to understand what is happening when we take oaths, when we make oaths, or we try to add something to our word. When we swear by heaven, Jesus is saying that we have presumed to have control or authority over heaven, but we don't. Heaven is God's realm. He rules over heaven. We can't give someone heaven if it turns out that our word was untrue and we have to pay up. We can't affect the heavens in any way by anything that we say or do. They are not our area of control. And when we swear by earth or anything that is in the earth, he's saying, well, the earth isn't yours either. It's God's realm too. It's his footstool. We can't give it away. It's not under our control. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. And when we swear by Jerusalem, which 
seems unheard of to us, but to a Jew, that would have been normal. That's the city of the Messiah, the great king, the Christ. It's his too. What's he saying? God rules over everything. It's all his. The mountains are his. Sing with me. The rivers are his. The skies are his handiwork too. Blink, blink. You know, my God is so big. Come on, you guys. <laughs> we can't swear by heaven or earth or anything in the earth because they are not ours to swear by. God is Lord over all. And then this is the one where I think we will probably push back against. Because there's more to this text, isn't there? Jesus wants us to see even our lives are not our lives. Look again at verse 36. We can't even make one hair black or white. In other words, we don't even have sovereign control over our own hair. But who does? Who has numbered every single one of our hairs? Who has numbered our days? Our God has. The same one who has numbered the stars. The same one who rules over creation. It's all his. And he cares over all of it. We are weak. We are weak. We are needy. We are helpless. James says we are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Isaiah says we are as fragile as the grass of the field that withers in the sun. So we have no need to make ourselves out to be someone that we're not. We're just sinners in need of a Savior. We are just beggars in need of mercy. And praise God, we have been given a Savior. And praise God, we have been shown mercy. And having been given Jesus, friend, we have no need to add an oath to our truths. No need to add anything to our truths. Or take away anything. No need to add anything at all to color them or make them sound more spectacular than they are. Our truths aren't even ours. We've been bought. We've been bought with a price. And the one who bought us, the one who purchased us, has sovereign control over our lives and sovereign authority over our words. And being his, we speak his truth. Our yes can just be yes. Our no can just simply be no. No excuses. No need to justify ourselves we have been justified already so church may we be a people who are trustworthy may we be a people who are faithful as our Lord has been trustworthy and as our Lord has been faithful to us amen let's pray
Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of Jesus Christ. Your word is truth. We thank you that you have given us the spirit so that we can 